hear the word of the Lord from Mark 14, sorry, Mark 9, 14 through 29. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It often has thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind comes out only by prayer. Well, thankfully, Jeff took care of the Lunar New Year, so we don't have to talk about that right now. But if you are interested in the Super Bowl, you know, have some snacks and enjoy yourself. And think about a great text. There are some of you here today who will hear this sermon in ways that others of us will not. I remember one Sunday morning as Pastor Cop was preaching up on the hill. We had a man who was attending at that time who was a quadriplegic who was bound to a wheelchair. And Pastor Cop had preached a wonderful sermon on one of the miracles of Jesus. And I don't know what possessed me to do it, but I just slipped over by my friend. And I said to him, I imagine you heard that sermon far different than I heard it, didn't you? How does a man confined to a wheelchair for many years hear a sermon on a miracle? To struggle, to struggle. Some of you grieving over the loss of loved ones. Some of you grieving over the loss of a friend. Some of you grieving over news from the doctor. You'll hear the words that Olivia read 
differently than some of us who are not facing those things at the present. Oh, we will. Mark my word, we will. But it's a different kind of understanding. So as we get into this text, I I must help you to understand, if you know anything about the Gospel of Mark, that, that you remember that chapter 8, verse 22, through chapter 10, verse 56, almost functions as a section of its own. It begins with that rather odd miracle story of Jesus healing the blind man in Bethsaida. And Jesus has to touch him twice, remember? Now the odd thing is, the man's friends bring him to Jesus and the word faith is never mentioned. Then you couple that healing of the blind man in chapter 8, beginning with verse 22, with what happens with Bartimaeus in chapter 10, beginning about verse 52. And there's Bartimaeus crying out, Son of David! Shut up! Be quiet! Son of David! Have mercy on me! And Jesus has the audacity to stand before the blind man and say, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to receive my sight. Jesus doesn't touch him. Jesus doesn't do anything except recognize the faith that Bartimaeus had. Now, it's within these two miracle stories that the story of the casting out of the unclean spirit, the deaf and mute spirit, that we find Jesus now at work. And we enter the story after the disciples have been unable to cast out the spirit, after there's been perplexity within the crowd and they see Jesus coming and they all run to him and gather to him. And Jesus utters those words that that are so difficult when he says in verse 19, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Unbelieving generation. What would have brought that about? Except a lack of understanding of what God was doing in the midst of his world at that moment. So the problem is laid out fairly well and we realize that in the midst of 
dealing with the problem, one of the problems is always a whole series of expectations that we bring to any situation. Did you bring an expectation to worship this morning? (laughs) Did you? Did you expect for God to say anything to you? Hmm. I've got to take just a small moment here to tell you an interesting thing that happened to me this morning. I have a former student who's pastoring up in Pickford, Michigan, up in the Upper Peninsula. If you go across the bridge and go a little bit to the east on your way to Sault Ste. Marie, you might go through Pickford. You probably won't, but it's there. My former student was preaching on the faith of Abraham. And I've been very open with some of you about some of my struggles of trying to understand retirement and all that's going on. And as Corey Heal was preaching this morning in that live stream sermon, I heard God's Spirit say to me, trust me, will you? You don't have to know everything that's going on. Just trust me and be willing to do what I'm asking you to do. I said, okay, Lord. (laughs) Okay. That's good enough for me. It's a problem, isn't it? Because can we really believe when we don't see the results? I had a fresh start yesterday up in, or fresh connection up in Bloomington, California. I uh, met a Ukrainian woman and reminded her of the story again of one of our Point Loma students who had gone to the Ukraine, I believe it was in 91. Some of you, I believe, were on that trip. Took medical supplies and Bibles and preached the gospel. And after one of those young students had preached a simple gospel message, an old, gnarled, Ukrainian woman came up to him after the service and through an interpreter said to him, Young man, I have been praying for 50 years for God to do something just like this. Oh. You know, if God doesn't answer our prayer by tomorrow afternoon, we kind of give up. She's been praying 50 years. That God would be at work. That she would go home from that service with the scriptures in her own dialect. That she could read 
and use for her own. That she could begin to see revival even there in Kiev and to experience the grace of God. My friends, that's faith. Not in my sermon. You see, when we face an unbelieving generation, we all begin to lose because the skepticism that is there draws the energy away from our ability to see God's hand at work. Do you believe God is at work in our world today? Do you really? I hope we do. But it's tough, isn't it? To really believe that God can make the difference. You see, I would like to say that this reading that Olivia gave to us from the Gospel of Mark was really a miracle story. But it's not so much a miracle story as it is a perspective on how the miracle takes place. And with what Pastor Gordon has been doing of talking about the prayers of Jesus. You see, this whole passage ends up with that simple saying, after the disciples say to Jesus, Why couldn't we drive out the demon? What happened? Jesus says, This kind can come out only by prayer. So, let's understand the process here. We have to believe... And as we believe, so we begin to pray. Because prayer becomes an expression of our belief. But even when that is said, my friends, it is not our prayers nor our belief alone that creates the miracle. That creates the casting out of the demon. It is the power of God. But somehow, somehow, that belief and that prayer opened the door for God to act in a way that He cannot do it without that kind of belief. Now, I don't understand all of that. But it's not just about what we do, but we become a means of Seeing God at work. Mark is very open about things like this. Back in chapter 6, Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth. And they're hoping that he'll do some miracles there like he's been doing down in Capernaum. And it says he could not do many miracles there because of their lack 
of faith. Very interesting. Even the ministry of Jesus was thwarted by that perspective that was taking place in Nazareth about who this young upstart preacher really was, this miracle worker down in Capernaum. So Jesus says, believe. And the father cries out, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Now, in the NIV text, I I like it. I really do. It it reads well here. They say, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. No, it's not just help me overcome it. (laughs) It's stronger than that. I believe. Help my unbelief. Not just overcome it, but it's in the way, Lord. That unbelief is there. If you want to have a good Bible study, you know, we always talk more about Bible study than we do it rigorously. But a good Bible study for you to be 16 chapters in Mark's Gospel. Read through there. Have a little notebook and... uh, Maybe if the Lord's blessed you with a fountain pen, you can use a fountain pen. But uh, if not, get one of those lesser things and use it. But take some time to note what is said in Mark's Gospel about faith and unbelief. It's very interesting. And you'll finish your reading of Mark's gospel with a greater appreciation of how he must have understood Paul a little bit. Because of Paul's emphasis upon faith and Mark's emphasis upon faith and how they come together in bringing about the work of God in the midst of our world. But let's never think that we're the one. We're the ones who do the work of God because of our faith. No, God does His work through that faith, but not because of it. We're we're not the workers involved. But, we are in the midst of God's ministry amongst us when we're able to recognize what He is doing in Jesus Christ to bring about the redemption of the world in His name. What do you expect from God? Man, I've been a good person. I've just paid my tithe. I've done all this stuff. Now God just owes me something, doesn't He? Not on your life. One of the most difficult experiences I ever had as a young minister, I was up in St. Luke's Hospital in Denver. And there was a precious lady who had 
been airvacked with her husband into Denver from out in Kansas. He was desperately ill with heart problems. And there we sat together in that little waiting room when the doctor had just come to tell her that her husband had passed. And I can remember, just as a young guy, trying to console her grief and placing my arm on her shoulder and saying, God's here. He's with us. And she turned to me and looked and said, then why did he let him die? We've gone to church and we paid our tithes and we've done all of this. Doesn't he owe us something? A healing or something? And she missed God's comfort and his presence And the hope she could find in the midst of death because she was trying to clarify all the good things that they had done together for Jesus' sake. Well, don't they count just a little bit? Probably someplace, but not in the grand scheme of things, my brothers and sisters. That's about building our own character and our own lives of commitment. We're not earning gold stars on our behavior chart because of those things. What we're doing is finding the means by which God can bring about renewal and transformation and revival as each of us in our own way open ourselves before Him. What do you expect from God? Have you ever come to that point in your life <laughs> where your expectations ran a little thin and you had to kind of just say, Lord, why couldn't we? Why didn't that happen when, when we prayed? When we tried to cast out the demon? Why, why didn't it happen, Lord? Jesus puts his finger on... The problem, I think, when he says, this cannot come out. Or it can only come out by prayer. Praying is tough, isn't it? It's tough. And yet, it is the means by which we allow God's presence, and God's work to be manifest within a needy world. The answer to the disciples was one word, prayer. Prayer. Jesus didn't give them, at this point, a lesson in praying. He assumed that they could pray. Now, for some of us in the 21st century, that assumption is probably less than it might have been speaking to a bunch of Jewish boys in the first century. They had grown up. 
praying and hearing the prayers and the chanting that went on day after day after day after day in their home, in the synagogue, when they went to temple, wherever they were. But our prayer always must begin with a faith in God our Creator and Redeemer who wants to be at work in our lives if we give Him the opportunity. I talked about my friend in the wheelchair for the many years, the quadriplegic, who would have heard a sermon on God's healing miracles far different than I heard them. But he could testify to God's grace as he was there in the chair. Can you testify to God's grace in your situation with what you need and where you are? He wants you to be able to do that in the good days and in the difficult days. You know, there's a really tough thing going on today with the Super Bowl. You know that, don't you? Because both quarterbacks are Christians. It's not going to be easy, folks. Whose side is God on anyway? They both wear red. The good news is, is that God has joy for the victor and comfort for the defeated, and he'll be with both of them as they open themselves to his grace. See, that's the good news. But there's going to be misunderstanding by some. <laughs> Because they misunderstand who God is and what He wants to do. You know what God wants to do with your life? Not just to make it easy, but He wants to give to you that sense of trust that makes life livable every breath you take. To make it livable because you know where your trust is. Live in that belief and in the joy of his presence. Is life just like I would like it to be? Nope. But we live it in his grace in spite of the no. Oh, I'd do some things differently. Yep. Wouldn't we all? But what God wants to do is to support us and undergird us in the situations where we find ourselves. With our own set of needs, with our own problems, with our own concerns, with our own prayer requests. Knowing that trust is the beginning of God's work in our world.
Can I trust God with my life? Can you trust God with your life? It's unfair to do this, but I can't help but. Barry, you've learned a lot about trust in the last 25 years, haven't you? Learned a lot about it. A lot that we don't understand, but you've learned that. Some of you have learned a whole lot about trust. Not because everything has been just fine and dandy, but because you've had to wrestle and you've awakened in the middle of the night so overwhelmed with the need to pray that you couldn't sleep. But God was there. Thank God. <laughs> Praise his name for that. Then the old father says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me to overcome this problem that I face. Can God really act on our behalf? Can he really be at work in our family? Can he really minister to me in the midst of a financial setback, a physical setback, an emotional setback? Wherever I am, can he, will he, does he, My friends, I don't know if you're up to it. But sometime today, well, certainly it couldn't be at halftime, but sometime today, could you find five minutes who hear God speak to you. Five minutes. Lord, you know my struggles. Would you show me what to do as I trust you with my future? Would you show me? And it is trust that makes the difference. I believe. Help my unbelief. You see, that's the start of it all. Because Jesus had been lamenting earlier. Oh, you unbelieving generation. At that point, he doesn't talk about their sinfulness and wickedness. He talks about their unbelieving problem. Let's believe. And as we believe, we begin to pray. And we begin to trust. And we begin to gain a new perspective on what it means to be God's children in a world that could care less. So, as you find those five minutes, 
as you bear your heart before God. For whatever it might be, give Him access to everything that you are and all that you need to be as you begin to live your life. I've reached that age in my life where I've begun to realize that, uh, you know, the uncertainties of the days (laughs) and their number have reached me. I'd like to think I've got another 10, 12, 15, 20 years left. I'd be so old, you wouldn't be able to chase me very far because I couldn't run at all. But that's okay, too. Because I know who's going to be with me as we walk to that last day and draw that last breath. Why are you so morbid today, preacher? That's not morbid. It's life. It's who we are. It's what we are. I mean, I know I'm old because I keep reading the obituaries. (laughs) And there are certainly a whole lot of people younger than I am who are encountering death itself. But that's in God's hands too. And I'm I'm convinced that that's okay. I never want to look at death as though it becomes a wonderful part of the cycle of life. No. Paul says it's the last enemy we face. You realize that, don't you? You read 1 Corinthians 15. You read what Paul says about it has nothing to do with the cycle of life, friends. It's an enemy that came when sin entered the world. And we're going to face it. But He has promised to be with us. And our hope lies in the resurrection anyway. So, back to Mark 9. It's not merely about the casting out of a demon who had so created havoc for this young boy that they thought it would have cost him his life early on. Jesus reminds the disciples It's not about how we do the exorcism that makes the difference. It's not about anything else but how we pray. And that prayer is grounded in our faith, in our trust for this God who has promised to walk this life with us wherever we go. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Now, there are some places we walk, probably say, Lord, let me, let me do this one by myself just for a while, okay? No, no, we don't have that option, friends. He's with us. He's with us. 
Why couldn't we, Lord? Why can't we? Shouldn't we be able to? Well, yeah. If you're praying and trusting and believing, yep, you can. I'm not certain it's always just about casting out demons, but it is about giving God access to our lives. Does God have access to your life? You see, I think I can ask that question to young and old alike. That's not just an old man's question. That's not just a question for one facing old age. That's a young person's question. Are you giving God access to your life, to your studies, to all that's going on in your relationships? And knowing that God cares even there. Well, when the disciples ask, why can't we? Why couldn't we? Why? We struggling. We understand afresh that it's not merely about going to synagogue. It's not merely about hearing prayers. It's about believing God and putting that belief into action as we pray. And as we do that, God is going to give us strength and hope and a way of viewing our life that we never dreamed possible. You want to make 2024 great? Make this be the year that prayer becomes a reality. You ever hear the name Thomas Kelly? Thomas Kelly was a Quaker who had uh, had some major setbacks in his life. But out of those major setbacks, Thomas Kelly learned to pray. And one of the little simple prayers that he prayed regularly, whether he was at a stoplight or whether he was in a restaurant or wherever he might have been, were just the simple words, Lord, I'm open before you. Speak to me. And you see, he speaks through our brothers and sisters in Christ, through sometimes the events that take place in our world, through Scripture as we read it and begin to understand it and let it speak its wonder to us. Thomas Kelly, he understood what he needed. He needed to hear the voice of God in ways that could make a difference for him. Lord, I'm open before you. Speak to me. 
see, I think you could do that out there in the backyard, shoveling dirt. You could do that wherever you might be. I'm open, Lord. (laughs) I'm open. And so when we meet those obstacles in our life that demand real prayer, we'll be ready for it. We'll be ready. And when the news comes to us about our loved ones or our situations in life that seem so overwhelming, we'll be ready. Because God's grace will be there in the midst of it all. Shaping and molding and developing who we are. This story. Simple story. A father with a son with an evil spirit. Disciples who couldn't cast out the demon. The crowd that's watching. And Jesus who has the ability to say, bring the boy to me. You unbelieving people, bring the boy to me. And the father cries out, Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. And the rest is here in the text. They think the boy's dead. Jesus raises him up. And isn't it amazing? They don't make a big deal over that because it all goes to the last part of the text. Why couldn't we? This doesn't come out with anything but prayer. Now, I'm not certain that means that you're going to have to be praying 23 hours a day. But I think Jesus is giving to us a key to what life is all about. Let's become men and women who learn to pray. And if we're struggling with our prayer life, let's talk to one another about it. I don't think we'll look down on each other because of that. If we need encouragement, let's talk to each other about it. That somehow, in the midst of a world that so desperately needs to see an authentic life lived in the presence of God, that they'll be able to see in you that difference that only God's presence can make. Hey, we're not talking about religious heroes here. We're not talking about that. We're just talking about common, ordinary followers of Jesus who have learned to have faith and pray. That's, a, that's nothing heroic about that. Nothing <coughs> like Superman about that. Superwoman, whatever. But you can do it if you will. 
Five minutes today. Get it started. And then there will be more in 24. But it all begins with the five minutes. And allowing God to access who you are and to make a difference in your life. Father, we are here this morning because it is an expression of our faith. And we have come with expectations today. Lord, expecting that that encouragement we've not even known how to articulate could be met. Thank you for these, our brothers and sisters in Christ. May they understand afresh the glory of your presence, Lord, and the wonder of your grace as we trust, as we pray, and as life takes on a new outlook because of your goodness to humanity. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.